You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, as you find your place in the gospel, well, I say the gospel of James, in James, the epistle that James wrote. In a moment, we'll read 12 through 20 and then focus our attention in primarily on verse 18. And as you, uh, as you find your place there, um, just want to just encourage you to um, keep your church family lifted up in prayer and community and, and all. We uh, yesterday made uh, the fifth call about somebody passing in the last week and a half. And so uh, it's been uh, something uh, keep uh, Billy Kirk and their family in your prayers. He come home yesterday from work around 1230 and found Miss Angie not responsive and just want to uh, remind you to be praying for them. Um, and like I say, uh, all church family and all the community and stuff be praying for them. Um, some of you may know him, some may not. Uh, some folks have been around here a good while. Uh, he's very, uh, very dear to their hearts. And when I first got here, not long after getting here, uh, he, we licensed him and uh, sent him off to uh, Fruitland to um, go to Bible college there. And he pastored a church in Nashville for a number of years. And then they recently moved back. Uh, Angie got the privilege to um, minister to her mom in her last days just last year and so um, just please uh, keep keep everybody in your prayers there. This morning um, I want to uh, just turn your attention to the idea of a great harvest. If I could paint a picture even if you're not an agricultural person if I could paint a picture of fields that are just ready to harvest as far as the eye can see. And I want to do, do uh, as best I can uh, justice to God's Word and lead you in, un, into that thought in verse 18. But to do that, let's go to verses 12 through 20. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised for those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights, which, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I, I just ask you to please um, allow us the privilege of having your word become real to us today. Teach us. 
convict us, edify us. Lord, may the Word of God do work all the functions that you say that it will work. It's good for all things. And today, there are a lot of things, God, in our lives that we need it for. And may it go out and bear fruit for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. In, in verse 18, in a moment, we're going to look at three particular uh, ideas out of that one verse. But to get us there, I want to remind us of a few things we talked about last week. In verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And we talked last week about the fact that there is this one Greek word that's used, but it can have a negative connotation or it can have a positive one. And in the first part of this section we have here in verses 12 and, 12 and 13, much like we have in verses 2 through 4, also in chapter 1, we have this, uh, a positive idea with this particular uh, Greek word. And it's the fact that there are tests and there are trials in life. But in those trials, God is victorious to overcome them. And even when we see the fact that uh, even though for those of us that love him, and we know that none of us would love him were it not for the fact that he first loved us. And so we know that God's working all these things out, he says, to the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. And we know that God is always going to be not with, with us to go around it or over it, but through it, right? And God takes us through those things, and he is victorious in that, even to the point to where he gives us eternal life. And that is brought to its fulfillment in Christ Jesus when we leave this earth uh, and to be with him, whether it be by grave or whether it be by the rapture, one way or the other, when we are with him, we have the fulfillment of this um, this promise there that we will have receive the crown of life, and it literally it means that we will receive eternal life. Then we notice that there is the negative connotation. In other words, God says we can have temptations, we can have trials, we can have tests, however you want to phrase with the word. We can have those things, but there can also be a test that leads to something on the darker side of, of things. And so we see that in verse 14. But each one is tempted. Listen, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, not by God, God is not going to lead us into a place that we shouldn't go. And I think that's a good thing to kind of just hunker down. In other words, nobody could ever say, well, God led me up into that bar. Can I get a witness? Well, and some folks, I, I, well, I won't even go there, but God led me into this awful relationship. God led me into this or led me into that. If God leads you somewhere, it is going to be a good place for his glory. God's not going to lead you, draw you in to sin. And that's the picture there of being drawn in. But we, in our lustful appetite, our flesh, our desires will be drawn in <clears throat> to, to uh, go away from what's right toward what's wrong. And listen to what uh, he says there. But uh, let no one say when he's tempted, God, I'm tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, 
When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And you see the progression. We talked about it last week, the fact that there's this gestation period. It seems that when this desire is being birthed in us, it's, it's growing in us, in other words. And then it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Talking about spiritual death, not physical death only, but spiritual death for eternity. But that, that progression, and throughout that progression, never forget that a child of God can go into that progression. We can go down that road, but we can't stay there. The conviction of the Holy Spirit of God is going to convict us, Hebrews chapter 12, that there is no child of His that does not receive chastisement, but that God chastises us. Why? What does He do there? Well, Jesus Christ did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And fulfilling the law in, in, in what He does in our lives, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, it brings us back up under the law. It makes us right again with the law. We become, as we go away from God, we, we find out that we are lawbreakers. We are ones that are breaking God's, uh, God's commands, God's law, going against God. And then God convicts us and He draws us back. And so we can go all the way into that process, all the way to sin. Uh, a Christian can sin, he just can't get away with it. And he won't live in it because of the conviction of God. So we see this happening. And, and those things happen in our lives. We know that. I want to encourage you in this, although all, none of us are perfect and all of us have the propensity to sin, it is never our desire to, to let that lead our lives. We're always to be striving for the upward call that God is growing us and changing us and more into the image of Christ every day. And that is the life of the believer. Now, he says, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my bro beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And I love this part of it. It says, With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Uh, they sung just a minute ago about the, the God bringing the light to uh, a shadowy place. And, all, and that's exactly what He does in, in those times when we're headed down the wrong path or we're in a situation where we shouldn't be in. His Word, His law, law, His love will bring a light into that situation so that we might be able to see um, what's, what's there. And, and we'll look at the adverse effect of that here in just a moment. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, it says, verse 18, He brought us forth by, by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creation. And this is something I want to settle in on this morning. Notice in the very first part of that verse, He says, Of His own will, He brought us forth. Of His own will, being of God's own will. In other words, God was not constrained to, to bring us forth. He did this of His own volition. In other words, He did this of His own. It was not that God was in need of being fulfilled, having us there with Him in heaven so that He might be fulfilled. And I know that breaks your heart. I know that probably may, may mess up some of your theology in your mind or just things that you think. Because sometimes we think that God, God loves us so much He just had to have us in heaven. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you and I are separated from God. We're, we're wretched, we're miserable, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We have no righteousness in ourselves. And without God we are very destitute. I, I tell people sometimes I feel like that when God come and found me, I was a stray dog walking in a ditch down the side of the road. And a Cadillac pulls up. 
And the owner of the Cadillac opens the door, invites me to come into the Cadillac. He takes me up to this big mansion, brings me into the house. He puts down this rug in front of the fireplace and a bowl with, a, with some water and some food and, and even puts a collar around my neck and puts a name tag on it that I belong to the master of the house. And that's the view that I have of what God did for me. And, and, and that in that now, well, I'll, I'll catch back up with that in a minute. He, his own will, he brought us forth. Let me take you to 1 John, I mean not 1 John, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And y'all going to have to bear with me, I'm going to be flipping a little bit this morning. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Listen, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now don't miss that. How were we born into the family of God? How did we become children of God? Says it right there in verse 13 one more time. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you and I, God birthed us into the kingdom, into his family by his will, not our will, not our works, not our, not our pedigree. It was all his doing. And I want to take you over to Ezekiel 2, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. I'm going to read verses 22 through 26. I was going to read 25 and 26 is what I had on my notes, but 22 is something we need to hear. It just kind of reemphasizes what I was telling you about earlier. Earlier, that, that it's all because of God. He's doing it for himself, for his own glory. Verse 22, he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Let that sink in for just a moment. We need to have a proper perspective on why God does what he does, especially when our verse says that he brought us forth by his own will. Listen again. Therefore, says the house, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. Many people say, he saved me because he wants me to be happy. He saved me because of this. He saved me because of that. No, he saved you because he is a covenant-keeping God. If God says that he is going to do something and it's going to take 151 steps to go through the process, then God will go through all 151 steps of the process. If God comes to rescue you and you are in the, in the eye of God to be rescued into eternal salvation, then there is no mountain he won't climb up. It, there's no wall he won't break down coming after you for sure. And he will come and rescue those. As a matter of fact, Peter says that God will save all those who um, will, wait a minute, that all those who come to him will be saved. And it is. All, he knows every one of us. And, and listen, to, listen to the rest of it. Verse 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I have been hallowed or reverenced in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you 
of all countries, out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Listen to what he says. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." Listen to verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That is what God does with us. This is the covenant that God has promised to us. That at the day of Pentecost when the spirit of God came to indwell believers in the New Testament, New Covenant church was birthed. That God now, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes in them. He writes his law on our hearts. And it goes hand in hand with just what we were talking about earlier, that God's law is on our hearts. When we sin against him, we are aware of it. Why? Because the law convicts us. And then God brings us back into fellowship with him so that we might not be lawbreakers, even as Christians, that we might be right with him. John chapter 3. We know this uh, chapter pretty well. Because we have John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But let's go to verses 19 and 20 and listen to what it says here. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed." And what I want you to get out of this is that what God is doing in our lives, when it says that he brought us forth of his own will, God is dealing with a spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem is an internal problem. And God's not going to deal with an internal problem with an external answer to that problem. He is going to deal with it internally. And so how does God deal with the internal spiritual problem that we have? He deals with it spiritually on the inside. He changes us from the inside out. That God changes, He puts a new heart within us. He sprinkles us with clean water. He, he puts His Spirit within us. He uh, gives us His law on our, on our hearts. And so God is doing this in our lives to conform us spiritually so often we want to fix things externally. We want to fix the internal problem by putting a good set of clothes on it. In other words, we'll dress up, we'll get a haircut, shave, do all these things, put on a little cologne, latest perfume, whatever, and, and we, we will feel like a human being again. But that does not make you right with God. There have been many, many people that have gone with, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ on their hearts to see him that didn't, well, they lived the life of a pauper. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of prestige, but they, they had righteousness. And the righteousness that they had is Jesus Christ's righteousness that he is, imputes to them. So I'm just saying, just as God said about David, David, that God looks at the heart, not at the man. He looks at the intent of the heart. And so uh, let me take you back to Jeremiah 31 and just show you something there. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, back to our text. God, of His own will, He brought us forth. How did He do it? By the word of truth. That God... Of his own will, his own volition, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We believe in the gospel around here. We believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We believe that, that the Bible is correct when it says, and we trust that the Bible's right, that there is no other name given among men by, whereby you must be saved. And I mean this with all the respect that I can give. God didn't come to save buildings. God didn't come to save a stack of bricks with a steeple on top of it. God didn't, come, God didn't come to save even this new building that we're uh, most likely going to see coming up here very soon in the next couple of weeks. God did not come for that either. God came for souls. God came for people of which I am a part of that group. And you are too. God came to redeem. And, and when we think about what God's doing here, we can even go ahead and start thinking about a harvest he said that the problem is not the harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. That's us. That you and I, and we, we believe that the gospel is the only way that a sinful man is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I mean this with all reverence and respect that I can, but it is not by excellency of speech nor cunning craftiness of men. It's not by the, uh, the eloquent voice of some uh, person being able to sing or be able to play instruments. It is not by your coercion. It's not by uh, light shows and smoke screens. It's not by any of that stuff. That, that God brings forth the life that is born again by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God again unto salvation. It is all about the gospel. And that's what we're about. And that's what we'll stay about. And, and I'm settled in that, that if, if we'll just be faithful with the gospel, then whoever God so chooses to save, he will save. They are the sheep of his pasture, not mine and not yours. It is his harvest. But don't ever forget that the harvest, he says, is plentiful. The problem is the laborers are few. A lot of folks uh, I hear people talking, and, and I do the same thing. Traffic's starting to get bad around here because more and more people are moving this way. And, and we can look at that and we can go, man, this is horrible. It's ruining our community. What, what if we not, don't think about ourselves? What if we think about the fact that what if God is bringing the world to us? If God's bringing the world to us, and regardless of how we want to look at it, if God sends more people here, it's just more harvest. It's more souls. And that you and I are to be faithful with the gospel, realizing that it's Him that's going to draw them. So you and I just need to be faithful with the basic gospel, trusting that God is the one that's going to bring forth the increase and that we'll not put faith in our abilities, but we will put, we will use what God's given us to the best of our abilities, but our faith is going to be in the fact that the gospel is going to change lives. And so he brings us by the word of truth. I want to show that to you in just a couple of verses um, in Ephesians um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. 
It says here, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. And this is, this is how the gospel came to impact our lives. Listen, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the gospel of truth. And, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For this reason I also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from, from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Then 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 that he needs to be careful with this word. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why would he admonish young Timothy to be careful with the gospel? And I would encourage you, you may not be a scholar, but you can know the gospel. The gospel can be known by you. It's been known by others, and I'll share that in a minute, but the gospel can be known by you. You can articulate the gospel. You don't have to be ashamed of it, just as Paul wouldn't. But what I'm trying to encourage you, it is going to be the gospel that does it. Um, not philosophy, not, not the uh, thoughts of men, but it's going to be the gospel. So in our text, he says that of his own will, he brought for us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now in this text he's talking in in the times timetable of the people that are alive when this is being written when he talks about the we part. But we are still a part of the we and I'm going to show you that in, in just a second. <clears throat> so we need to follow a little trail here and learn a little bit about first fruits. Uh, so I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 23 we're going to read a few verses there, 9 through 11. And so God gives Moses some instruction to give to the people about first fruits. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. Listen to what it says. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, what they were expected to do was in the spring of the year in Palestine, they would have this, um, this harvest that they would gather. It's a grain and cereal harvest. It's the, 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 the grain with the heads there. Now, there would be a wheat harvest that would come a, a little later, about 50 days later, roughly, that, if I remember correctly. But in the spring of the year, around March and April of our time, that there would come this first fruits harvest. In other words, the fields would start to produce a, 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 a harvest. 
but it was not the full harvest. It was just the first ones that were ripening. And they would go out and they would pick. Now, this is not uncommon for, uh, for farmers to do something like that. I told them uh, in the first service, I've grown a few tomatoes and a few other things. I'm not somebody that's going to proclaim to have a green thumb. I thank God for people with green thumbs. My mama's mom and daddy had green hands. They didn't just have green thumbs. They had green hands. We went into a um, greenhouse the other day to pick up a flower for uh, a funeral. And we went into that greenhouse, that smell hit me and it took me back to my childhood. My, my grandparents, thank God they got out of the chicken business for like eggs, selling eggs and all. Thank God they got out of that before I come along. My mama had to deal with that. But they went into the greenhouse business. And not only did they have greenhouses, they had more garden. They had enough garden to feed half, half the country. I mean, they put up so much stuff and gave away stuff. But I was around them, man, and they could grow stuff like you no know, tomorrow. But the first fruits that come off of a harvest, a lot of times people that know what they're doing, they can tell a lot about what the rest of it's going to be like by looking at the first of it. I know this happens a lot of time with people who farm corn and for, for a living. And all they can tell as the corn's coming in what the harvest is going to be like. Well, he tells them, I want you to bring in the first of the harvest, the very first of it. Bring it and let the priest Wave it before the Lord that the Lord might be blessed, like might bless the, um, the bless the rest of the harvest, and that God would also receive from you a uh, a sacrifice. How's this a sacrifice? Well, you got to think about this. What if the rest of it don't come in, and you've given all of the good and the best to God? And you don't know whether it's going to rain or not rain. You don't know if it's going to be hot or if it's going to be cold. You don't know anything about what's left to come. But yet you're by faith going to be obedient to God and bring to Him the only thing you have in your hands. You've got to figure, they've been running off of supplies for a good while, right? This is the new harvest coming in, and this is, this, this is going to be all they got. And they've got to trust that God's going to provide for them with this. So they have this, uh, this festival of the new harvest. It happens during, at the end of Passover. It says after the Sabbath on Saturday, at the end of the Passover week, on the first day of the week, which would be what church? Sunday, that they are to bring this first fruits har uh, harvest to the Lord. Now, let's go over to Matthew for just a moment. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to read a few verses for you there, starting with verse 1. And listen very closely to the words. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. This is verse 1. And we know that this is at the end of the Passover week. They were celebrating Passover. We understand Passover is from the Old Testament when the Passover, uh, well, the, the lamb was slaughtered, the blood was applied to the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over the children of Israel under God's covenant, God's provision, God's caretaking. That they would, the death angel would pass over and they would be safe. And so they celebrate the Passover and, and they're celebrating the Passover. And it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, 
who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now, bring this into context. We also know uh, that if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to see in verse 20, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, put this into your framework here, in, into our picture. That just as they would bring the first fruits of the grain offering to the priest, and the priest would bring it before the Lord, and if the Lord was pleased with their offerings, God would bless them with a harvest. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the living from the dead. In other words, when He raised from the dead, God, if you, if you can just paint this picture, if you will, that the aroma of the, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is before God Almighty. He is pleased with it. He, he, he is, um, has His first fruits offering there. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, that you and I who believe in Christ Jesus, though we be dead, we shall live also. That you and I will be raised to newness of life because we are the harvest after the first fruits being Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. So God promises us there that with what happened with Christ, we who are the harvest coming behind, He is going to bring us with Him. Now, I want to bring this on a little bit further. In our text here, verse 18, of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creation. And so in this text, He says that now there is another firstfruits that's happening. So in this New Covenant church, the people that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in the New Covenant church are also seen as a firstfruits, the first of its kind. And He says, as a matter of fact, in Matthew 28, it tells, let's see, I'm sorry, not in Matthew 28. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Paul spoke of Stephanus as being the first fruits of Achaia. In other words, there are other places where we can go to, but for time's sake we won't, to where they talked about the fact that these people that were coming to faith in Christ as New Covenant, uh, New Testament believers there, filled the Holy Spirit of God, that they are now a first fruits. In other words, they are the first of its kind coming to faith in Christ, but that you and I are a harvest that comes behind the first fruits. That God, pleased with, with what He's His work there that, that's been done in those people, now God is going to bring forth a harvest. That's why He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What harvest? The harvest that comes to the Gentiles through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now, you and I, this is where I want to get us to so that we can kind of nail a couple of things down. Understand a few things. This world's coming to an end. And in, to some degree, we can even say that, that, that they are a first fruits and us being a harvest behind the fruits, uh, first fruits, are also kind of a first, going to be a first fruits of the new creation. And I want to show that to you uh, here in, in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Before we wrap this up, Romans chapter 8, 19 through 22. 
He says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now we're going to take this just, just a little slow pace here. Who are the sons of God? That we that be us, right? We is the sons of God. Y'all with me? We are the sons of God. If you're saved today, if you're ever going to be saved, that when this earth dissolves, and it will dissolve. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Uh, some, some of the tree huggers and the ice cap protectors and all these people with the green stuff, they do have it right. This place is going down. The only thing that they got to get a hold of is they can't stop it. That doesn't mean we can't preserve. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of the stuff that we got. Don't ever hear Greg saying that we ought not to take, be good stewards of what God's given us. But at the end of the day, you can't stop the heat from coming. It's coming. They've even kind of got it pinned, don't they? Global warming. You ain't seen global warming yet. There's a massive global warming that's coming. Listen to what it says here. Romans 8, verse 19, once again. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that's all of creation, not just people, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, uh, in hope, and, and that be God, uh, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, listen, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. And if you get the picture there, when the new heaven and the new earth is created, we are the only fruit that's going to endure from this place. Think about it. God's harvesting the fruit out of the field. He's going to burn the field down, make a new field, and we are going to be here in a new creation. The first fruits of that new creation. So, Let's go to 2 Peter for just a minute. 2 Peter, that'd be this way. 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 13, maybe 14. It says, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We believe that, Right? This is the thing that everybody needs to get, though. This show does come to a close. What's the next word he says? But. Listen to what he says. Not, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt in fervent heat? Nevertheless, 
We, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, my beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and without blemish. Now, if you take that and you go back to where we were and you go back to verses 12 through 15 where he was talking about the fact that, you know, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those that will have eternal life, that we will be, go beyond this, this destroying of the earth, and that we will be in the new heaven, new earth. Then he says, let no man say when he's tempted of God, I'm, uh, or tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. He says to keep yourself. He says to keep ourselves that you and I are born of God's very own will. Through the precious gospel of Jesus Christ that cost him everything on the cross. And that the resurrection that we'll be celebrating very soon in the springtime between March and April when in Palestine they will have a harvest coming out of the fields and they'll have the first fruits of the harvest that they'll look at. And I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be there and to know the things that they know that's been handed down to them from years. And every time if they are... If they are a believer in Jesus Christ, every time they look out at those grain fields, they have to rejoice in knowing that the first fruits on this earth are nothing compared to the first fruits of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ risen from the dead is the first fruit of all those that would be raised from the dead. When they see those fields out there at white under harvest, that they think about the fact that one day, our Lord is going to bring with him all those who sleep in Christ Jesus. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we shouldn't be ignorant concerning those things. But that God will send Christ Jesus with the shout with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with the Lord to meet him and be with him forever in the air. And he says comfort one another with these words. And I'm telling you right now, I want to encourage you that, yes, we're going to be with him one day. If you're a child of God, yes, we will be raised. We will. Whether by grave or by rapture, we will be with him. But don't forget this. We're also first fruits on this earth after the apostles and those first believers there in the new covenant age, in the new church age. And that you and I should not think ourselves to be less there either. We think about the resurrection from the dead and we think, wow, we shall be like him. We shall see him face to face. But don't forget that you and I have the spirit of God living in us now. And that you and I are no less than the apostle Paul was. You and I are no less than Peter and James and John, Stephen, all those that have gone on before us. Even though they were the first, God is no respecter of persons. The same Holy Spirit that lives in them, He lives in us. And that you and I should be as bold with the gospel as they were. You and I have as much power in us, living in us because of the, the gospel of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to do the work that God wants us to do just as they did. And so you and I are no less than them. You and I have a responsibility to be faithful to the fact that God has 
by his own will brought us to life. And that because he's brought us to life now, we are to share the gospel to others. And we are to love others. And we are to, to be Christ to the world. And not be about ourselves. Because he's coming back one day. And we don't have time to go into it, but will your lamp be lit? Will the wick on your lamp be trimmed? Will it be full of oil? Will you be ready? When he comes back as a thief in the night, it's not going to be sending you a letter in the mail. I don't know about you, but I always say this decide if they're going to go electronic or paper. They, I, I, somebody, you know, I had a, a something from the bank. It's like, and we found out about it, you know, months later. It's like, well, we sent you a letter. I'm like, man, I don't look at no mail. Everything I do is on my phone. I mean, I put my check in on my phone. I pay my bills on my phone. I check messages from y'all on the phone. I said, y'all didn't send me no email. I wish they, but just understand what I'm telling you. God is not sent. He's not sending you any more warning shots. You have it. You have it. And we see, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, we see all the chaos that is going on in this world, and it seems as if we are numb to it. There's a time when we would be in an uproar, but now it seems as though all of the, uh, um, all of the, the enticement of this world has sung us to sleep with the lullaby and that we are, we are like in a slumber and that we, we don't realize. I, I've told you before, I, I'd have to look it up to see, but there were over, there's over 20 earthquakes that happened in Elgin, South Carolina, but it didn't even make the news here. Why? Because we are asleep. We're just Sung to sleep. Why? How do they sing us to sleep? Well, I think MSG has a part of it. Uh, I think uh, fake burgers and anyhow, there are a lot of things that have sung us to sleep. They keep us almost like the Thanksgiving turkey or the pig before the butcher, don't they? Just keep food in the trough. I got a friend that's got buffalo. Somebody asked him one time, was, was standing there working on a fence. I worked for him for a couple years and he said, man, how you build a fence to keep a buffalo in? He said, you don't. He said, you keep the buffalo happy so he don't tear your fence up. That's what you do. You feed them, keep them what they want. Do you think that one of the tactics of the enemy is possibly keeping us in almost a semi-induced coma to reality? That we just go about our happy lives. And as long as we have our food from the grocery store, God help, we have our milk sandwiches and all that stuff for the snow. But long because you'll see an uproar then. But as long as we have these creature comforts, as long as the air conditioning and the heat's working, as long as we got running water inside the house, as long as we have our creature comforts and our TVs and all our other things, we're just sitting here. Being rocked by the world. And God's going to come one day and there won't be an air conditioner, no a well pump, 
There won't, there won't be a TV, a cell phone, a cell phone tower. There won't be any of it left. Where is he going to find the church? And I ain't talking about the building. I'm talking about us. Is he going to find us in the field? Or is he going to find us laid up by the trough? Just fat and sassy, living life for us. Where is he going to find us? Because understand, we're special. Did you know that? We are of a special kind. That you and I, as children of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Think about that. that. That we are kings and priests to our house, guys. Come on. I mean, we, God has set, set us above the creation at the chief, the chief of creation, the only one that he breathed into that breath of life with that soul. That he gave us dominion over all of that. That God has, has, has so set us above all of creation. And he has sent his son to redeem us. And if you're saved today, I mean, think about it. Think about what was given to us, and then what are we doing with it? What are we doing with what God has given us? I don't mean to harp on this, but barely can't even get people that claim to be Christians to just read a couple words out of his book. I mean, is that not true? I mean, honestly, it is an absolute chore for us, and I'm just speaking as myself too, it is an absolute chore for us just to read the love letter that God sent to us. And yet we'll go, man, I can't get wait to get home one day. I can't wait, boy. Going to see mama, going to see grandma, going to see this person, that person. Jesus want to know, how in the world can you say you're my disciples and not do the things that I commanded you to do? I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. If you would, right where you're at, if you would just, uh, just for a moment, if you would maybe, maybe bow your heads. I don't, you don't have to close your eyes. I don't even know why we close our eyes to pray. I don't know where that's at in the Bible, but I'm, I, I'm like, I seen some dude, he, he don't close his eyes to pray no more. Don't even bow his head and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm going to try that for a little bit. It's like, let's just look at each other and pray. Um, but if you would, for just a moment, so that you, we can have some time to yourself. Just, if you would, bow your heads for just a moment. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that you're concerned about where you'll spend eternity. You are concerned about your salvation. You have not... You, you know you don't have a relationship with Christ. You're, you've never been saved. You're, you're, you're lost is what we, we would say. That you have no hope. I wonder if there's anyone that would just say, hey, preacher, that's me and I sure need you to pray for me. Would you just slide your hand up if there's anybody? Amen. I want to pray for you. Uh, pray and encourage you um, that if you are in that situation, for one, 
definitely come find me at the end of this service. I'd love to love to talk with you and so we can get some things kind of rolling. Uh, but I'd also love to now tell you what you can do. If right now, if you realize that you are lost, you, you're unsure of where you'll spend eternity, you're concerned about those things, the, the Bible says that that's a, basically that's a good thing. That God is drawing you to himself. The, it says that the law is a schoolmaster to draw us to Christ. And, and so the law has arrested your heart because we're lawbreakers. Uh, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But God commended his great love unto us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, it also says. And that they, he died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. And the Bible also says that on that they buried him, and the Bible says that on the third day he arose, just as we talked about a minute ago with the victory, that death now for the believer has no, no sting anymore. It's been plucked. Um, and so you can right where you are just simply repent in the, that, God, I, I'm a sinner. I realize that I am not, I, I'm in trouble. I, I have no righteousness of my own to stand before you. And I, my eternity seems to be, doomed to be separated from you. But I heard that Christ paid the penalty for my sins. And today I want to profess my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died. I believe that they buried him. And I believe that he arose. And I want to follow him from this point forward. I would encourage you to come to faith in Christ in that manner. And then for those who are believers... If you're a believer today, child of God, can I like encourage you and also maybe motivate you to be faithful to him? I mean, he paid it all. It also says in the song, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We are free, free to serve him. So I would encourage you today to do that very thing. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a, uh, a verse or two. This altar is always open. If anybody had, needs to pray, you're welcome to come. We will, somebody will gladly pray with you. If, they feel, if that feels like the thing that the Lord's leading to do, we will do that. Um, and then if you have professed faith in Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to come and uh, catch up with me after the service is over with. I, I will wait till the last person's gone. Father... Thank you so much, God, for your grace today. I thank you for your, the kindness that you have shown to us. <laughs> I'm thankful, God, to have my place by the fireplace, my collar and my name tag, to be yours, to be in the king's house, the master's house. Lord, we pray for all those who are making decisions or thinking about those decisions about their eternity. And God, strengthen us as believers to be faithful to you in Christ's name. Amen.